This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Wayne Baker is the Robert P. Tomei Professor of Business Administration and Professor of Management and Organizations at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. He's also the faculty director of the Center for Positive Organizations there, which is a great institution. His latest book, a must-read for sure, is All You Have to Do is Ask, How to Master the Most Important Skill for Success. Wayne is the author of five other books, many scholarly articles. His work has focused on social capital, social networks, generosity, and positive organizations and values. Wayne is the co-founder and board member of Give and Take, Inc., developers of the Givitas collaborative technology platform based on the principles in All You Have to Do is Ask. In this episode, Wayne and I talk about the science and the art of both asking for and giving help. And we need to be able to do both. Getting the support we need in life to achieve our important goals, not only at work, but in our families, with our friends, in our communities, it's too often inhibited by difficulties we face in asking for it. In this conversation, Wayne describes and illustrates what the barriers are that hold people back from asking for help and what can be done to overcome them. He explains the essential elements of an effective request, that it's specific, meaningful, action-oriented, realistic, and time-bound, and how to assess your style of giving and receiving help which is a useful starting point for becoming, well, smarter about how to cultivate generosity in all the relationships that matter to you. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, please subscribe. If you haven't already done so, do it now before you forget. And rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so others are more likely to find it and enjoy it as well. Now, get set to learn about the ins and outs of giving and receiving, generosity, and what it takes to build the network of support you need to succeed at work and in all of life. It's the world's leading expert on social capital, Wayne Baker. Wayne Baker, welcome to Work and Life. Well, thank you, Stu. Glad to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, I have certainly found, and you describe so well and so clearly in, in such practical terms, and all you have to do is ask, the people are inhibited about asking other people for help and support. Why is that? Well, it's very true that many people are quite reluctant to ask for what they need. Many people are generous. That's usually not the problem, but getting people to ask is the obstacle that is the problem and there's a number of things that get in the way uh, for example sometimes we don't ask because we 
are concerned or we fear that others will think that we are incompetent um, or ignorant, we don't know how to do our job or what have you. And yet there's research done by some colleagues of yours at the Wharton School in Harvard that mm-hmm. have said, you know, as long as you make a, you know, a well-structured, intentional, thoughtful, intelligent request, you know, people will think you are more competent rather than less. We're going to get into what what it takes to ask a thoughtful, competent, and effective request. That's a big part of what your book is about. It's so helpful. And uh, what listeners I know are going to benefit from from learning about. Um, But first, I I want to stay on on this topic of why, especially in our culture here in America, uh, people are afraid to be in need or to ask for uh, things of other people or the people that those people know. What are the cultural uh, barriers, and, and uh, do you see those shifting is a question that we'll get into in the second part of our show. Well, you know, it's interesting. What we have found in the tools that I write about in the book is that they seem to work everywhere. Mm-hmm. The one tool that you know very well, which is the reciprocity ring, has been done now in oh, 20 different countries, 12 different languages, all different cultures, and it seems like it taps into a, a human universal mm-hmm. uh, that people under the right circumstances will be uh, willing to, to ask and to give and to be generous and to help other people. And I've found that it, does, it works in all different cultures. It's really quite amazing. Tell us more about what the reciprocity ring is. So the Reciprocity Ring is a tool, a group-level activity that Cheryl Baker and I developed almost exactly 20 years ago, and my wife and I had a very interesting conversation. So back then she said, okay, you've been trained as a sociologist how to analyze networks, and you tell your students how to do that and show them how to map their networks and interpret them. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, what do you tell them to actually do? Uh, How can they build their network? How how can they use it effectively? Yeah, be more of a psychologist, Wayne, is probably what Cheryl said. <laughs> That's less, right. Less sociology, more psychology, right? Exactly right, exactly right. <laughs> okay. And, and being at the Ross School, I think I've learned some over the years, too, from my colleagues who are psychologists and, and social psychologists. Of course you have. Yeah, and so, uh, and I said, well, you know, I have a couple of stories, and I tell those, and I hope the bell's going to ring, and I'm going to run out of time, because I really don't have a lot. Well, that led to an interesting conversation um, where I said, well, you know, if you think about social capital as our network and all the resources that exist in that network, Mm -hmm. the way that they get activated is through generalized reciprocity. So there's a nice academic term. When we think of reciprocity, we usually think about it in this way, is that I help you and you help me, that a form of direct reciprocity. And that's that's great. That's true. We want that to happen. Mm -hmm. But the generalized form... Uh, happens like this, is that you help me, I feel grateful, and I pay it forward, and I help a third person who helps a fourth person, and so forth. That's a more powerful network form of, of reciprocity. It's the kind of world we all want to live in. Exactly. We want a world where people are generous, and what I found, uh, where people are willing to ask for what they need. Mm-hmm. And this is what the world's religions have been preaching f- since the dawn of time, have they not? Oh, absolutely. There's a uh, uh, the Fetzer Institute wrote about this in an interesting report, and they said 24 of the world's leading wisdom and religious traditions all have this idea of the importance of helping people, of being generous. Mm-hmm. 
But in that same report, they say, you know, when you think about it, you also need the other side. You need people being willing to ask the receiving side. But sometimes we have complicated or mixed or even ambivalent feelings about receiving. Mm-hmm. But, you so, know, if, go ahead. if everyone wants to give and no one's willing to receive, nothing happens. No. So, so Cheryl's asking you, hey, how can you activate the, the, you know, the catalyst, which is the request? or something along those lines. And that that gave rise to the reciprocity ring. Tell us more about how you came up with this brilliant tool, which everyone everywhere should use. Well, I I told a story about um, something I'd learned in economic anthropology when I was in graduate school at Northwestern. It's one of my favorite courses. It was about non-market economic systems. And I talked about this uh, the system of ceremonial exchange, which is very formalized, mm-hmm. and it occurs in all these Aboriginal societies, and we went on and on. And from that, that was really the spark of the idea for the reciprocity ring. And I could, I could describe it very briefly. Please. Although there is a, a particular recipe for doing this, and we train people how to follow that recipe. Yes. But essentially, it's... And you describe it in the book as well. That's right, and mm-hmm. I describe a couple of variations of it mm-hmm. um, in the book. But essentially it's this, is that everyone makes a request. In fact, that's the ticket of admission. Everyone has to make a request. Um, But they spend most of their time helping other people in one of two ways. They've got the answer, they've got the resource, they can share it. Or they can tap their network and introduce the requester to someone in in their network. That's Mm -hmm. the other way that they can help. Indirectly. Indirectly, exactly. Now, you know, back then, I thought that getting people to help was going to be the problem. So I had this standard... (laughs) uh, speech I would give in the beginning, about 10, 15 minutes, talking about the importance of generosity and helping. Come on, you got to help each other, people. That's right. But, but you, you know, didn't need that, did you? You know, Stu, that's what I really found. To my surprise, that was never the problem. Right. People were extremely generous, but everyone struggled with making a request. Uh-huh. You know, people would say, oh, you know, sometimes they take me aside and they say, you know, I'm not going to ask for what I really need because I know that there's no one here who can really help me. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned to say False to that assumption. is, yep, you never know what people know or who they know yes. until you ask. Mm-hmm. What else would they say to you, sotto voce, or, or at least or even lower so that no one else could hear? What else did they confide in you? Like, ah, there's, there's something I know I need and want that's going to help me in my, my family life and my career, but I don't know. I can't ask. What else, what else do they tell you about why they can't ask? We know sometimes I found that people were just very unclear about what they really needed, mm-hmm. you know, and that stood in the way. Um, and so I have the I have criteria for what is a well formulated request, and I would lead people through a, a kind of a goal, quick goal setting activity. I mm-hmm. write about some of these activities in the book, mm-hmm. and would get people to start thinking about before they jump into the reciprocity ring, thinking about what's a goal, what is it, something you're trying to achieve in your life, at home. Uh, in your spiritual life, whatever it might be. What's a goal that's important to you? Okay, we've got that. What is a resource that you need? Is it advice from someone? Is it another kind of resource? And then we take it from there. Okay, then we have to talk about the uh, request that follows those five SMART criteria. And then you can get to the point of actually making the request. And if people are thoughtful and pause before, then they can really think about what they're trying to accomplish, what they need, and they could formulate it in a way that would be an effective request. And that helps people overcome a lot of the inhibitions that we naturally feel about asking for help. It it really does. It also helps to know that everyone is in the same boat. 
you know, it's very hard if you have to make a request that everyone's just staring at you and no one else is going to make a request. But yes. you know that everyone is working on the requests. Everyone's going to make a request, and that makes it psychologically safer to do. If you live in a world where people are encouraged to and uh, really honored for their candor and clarity and being able to bring forward their needs, well, then it's a lot easier for you to do it. Of course, of course. So before we go any further, I'm certain that people are thinking, wait, what are those tips for how to ask for help? Because... I still don't get it. I still don't know how to do it. So, Wayne, take us through what a smart ask is. Well, I use the criteria smart in a little bit different way than it's traditionally used. Okay. Um, the, the S is for specific. Um, and what we have found over time that a specific request triggers people's memories of what they know and who they know. A general request doesn't. Mm-hmm. In fact, the most general request I ever heard was from a, an executive from the Netherlands, and he said, my request is for information. <laughs> well, that's, that's almost that as good as, uh, I'd like to be happier. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, so, and so I said to myself, well, can you elaborate? And he said, no, it's confidential. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you I, know, I bet he, he didn't get much help. He didn't get any help. No one knew how they could help him. He mm-hmm. actually was very generous. He helped a lot of other people, but he didn't get any. Hmm. So you have to be very specific. And the more specific, the better. Okay, specific. Now, M under the standard definition of SMART is measurable, and measurability is nice. But For goals. A, but you're referring to the acronym SMART that's often used to describe what a good goal is, right? That's right. That's right. And my definitions of a couple of the elements are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And the M is one of them. For me, M is meaningful. Mm-hmm. Why is it important? Why is it meaningful to you? And it's interesting, Sue, a lot of people will leave that off. They will assume that if you're asking people will know that it's important. Well, people don't know that until you explain why it's important. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it important to what you're trying to achieve? Why is, it re- why is it important to the team's goals or the organization's objectives? So it's so crucial say, there. I'm sorry, please finish your thought. Yeah, yeah. So you want to be very clear about why it's meaningful and important. And in that sense of meaning is is the significance of the request in terms of how it enables you to be helpful to other people. Am I right? That's right. That's right because you're you know you're trying to accomplish something at work, but if you're better able to do that, you're also serving the organization's objectives. And that makes it easier, does it not, for people to be making these smart requests because you're not asking just for yourself, you're asking so that you can be better able to help other people. Yep, that's exactly right. So that I, that's a crucial piece. So specific, meaningful, what's the A stand for? The, the A is action-oriented. So sometimes people will state a goal. Mm-hmm. A goal is not a request. A goal is a destination. A request is something that's going to move you in the direction of, of attaining that goal. Mm-hmm. So you're asking for something to be done. It could be that you need advice from an expert or you need someone to help brainstorm or you need an opportunity uh, to do whatever. So you want to ask for something to be done. That's the A, the action. And the R is strategically realistic. So I encourage people to make big asks, to make, uh, if you will, stretch asks, hmm. but it has to be within the realm of possibility. You know, if you say you want to, you know, colonize, um, you know, the moon, that's not going to happen anytime soon, but you want to make a request that is, you know, at least strategically sound within the realm of possibility. 
And okay. the, the T is time. What's the deadline? And here I've often found mm. that people think that a vague deadline will motivate people. It's just the opposite. Mm-hmm. Whatever the deadline is, I say, you know, if it's, if it's the end of this quarter, state that. If it's the end of today, state that as well. And mm-hmm. that urgency will motivate people to respond. Even, even if it's far out in time? Uh, yeah, even if it's far out in time. And, um, I mean, that, as long as it's specific and it's not a made-up deadline, it's one that's actually meaningful. You know, I made a, I made a request when – so this year, Cheryl and I will be married 30 years. Mazel tov. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, so this goes way back to when we just created the, the reciprocity ring uh, 20 years ago. We were mm-hmm. coming up on our 10th anniversary, which was several months away. Yeah. And I made the uh, near-fatal mistake of, of asking Cheryl, well, what would you really like to do? Number 10 is a milestone. And she said, without any hesitation – I want to be on Emerald Live, the Food Network show in New York City to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary. Well, why and was that near fatal? Because I was thinking, like, how will I make that happen, <laughs> right? I don't know anyone on the show. I don't know Emerald. You know, we'd been fans of the show for a long time. Uh, we had tried to get on the show, get the tickets. That never happened. And so I just didn't know how, to, how it was going to happen. So I just kind of filed it away. And I think, well, maybe something would come up. Well, I've, I've learned to, to take my own medicine. And I had an opportunity to, uh, when I was participating in the orientation program for our, our incoming MBAs, yeah. um, to make that request. And, you know, the M part there was really important. Of course. They understood. It wasn't just like, oh, wouldn't it be great to be on Emerald? That doesn't get any help. Uh, but rather... This was meaningful. It was for an anniversary, a milestone celebration. It was something that my wife Cheryl really wanted. And, you know, a lot of the students were married or they remember their parents' milestone Mm -hmm. anniversaries. Um, And talk about specific, that 10th wedding anniversary is going to be on a specific day, right? It's at a very particular time. Uh That helped to bound it in time as well as make it specific. That's right. But that was... You know, I started thinking about this because that was still several months off. Mm. So it was in the, it's not distant future, but it was still out there. And um, it was really amazing what happened. Five or six students came forward. Somebody was dating Emerald's daughter. Okay. Which was true. It was also true that they broke up and uh, <laughs> that didn't work. Uh, but there was a connection that did work. And because of that connection made by the generosity of a student. Wait a minute. Wait for it, folks. Go on, Wayne. Yes, so it turned out that we, in fact, uh, were in New York the week of our 10th wedding anniversary. Um, And we were first, uh, we were sort of informal guests. There was a segment that he would do every Friday morning um, on Good Morning America. And so that's as far as we got. And I said, okay, well, this is probably as close as we're going to get. But right at the end of that, uh, we got two tickets from Emerald. We went across town. We were his guests. Uh, the Food Network, to make it even better, it turns out they were filming Valentine's Day. Oh, my gosh. I know. And then even more is that when we got married, we had no money, and, and Cheryl never got a wedding ring. And I had one in my pocket uh, with me, and I had made a pledge that when we hit our 10th wedding anniversary, I was going to surprise her with this ring. So I asked the producer if I could do this and didn't really even get a response. But at the very end, they said, okay, Emerald says you can present the ring. Say something nice about the Food Network and be brief. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, MBA bullet points, right? You know, three things I got to say. 
and I I gave it the ring on on air, and it oh it was oh, no. just a magical moment, an incredible <laughs> moment. So uh, that that didn't embarrass her, or uh, she 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 went with the moment and and appreciated your gesture. Well, she said it's the only time in her life that she has been one hundred percent surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Wayne. All right, so. This is a great example of how uh, magic is out there, <laughs> but you've got to access it. You've got to, you've got to take initiative to make those requests of people in your world to enable uh, you to, to, to gain the kind of help that, that you need. How does this help your business life, this idea of being able to ask for help? Well, everyone has business goals. Uh, they have objectives they're trying, to, uh, they're trying to meet. And we could be a lot more effective, more efficient, more creative if we ask for help from other people. It could be advice. It could be any kind of resource. But, you know, when you, if you just put your head down and you try to do it yourself, you know, after a while, it just doesn't make sense anymore that you should really stop, reach out, get input from other people, and you'll get to the answer faster. It'll probably be more... Uh, more creative. I mean, I've got an example of uh, mm -hmm. there's an economic consulting firm that I know. So these are all PhD economists, so really smart people, mostly used to, to working by themselves. And when they hire one of these new PhDs to work at the firm, the principals say, look, we don't want you working on a problem by yourself for more than 20 minutes, and you're stuck. We want you to stop and ask people, get a little brainstorm session, maybe an informal huddle, get people together and get some input on this problem. So there, not only do they get permission to ask, they are establishing a norm and a practice in the workplace. Mm -hmm. To make it clear that we want you to be asking for help, and yet in most, most business cultures, let's face it, Wayne, uh, the norm is, is quite the opposite. Figure it out, bring me a solution, don't complain, don't waste my time. Is a is a is a mindset that many people in authority roles in many organizations uh, in our society will convey. Am I right, or do you see it differently? No, I think that's the norm. Um, but I think there are a number of examples out there mm -hmm. uh, that are just the opposite. Um, I think of IDEO, for example. You know, a very well known, very creative uh, design firm. And they're, they're known for their robust culture of helping. In fact, I, I interviewed uh, Heather Courier-Hunt, um, who's a senior leadership person at, uh, at IDEO, interviewed her for the book, and she was saying, you know, the reason we have a culture of helping is because we have a culture of asking. And it's the asking mm -hmm. that really drives the whole cycle of giving and receiving, of getting help. And, you know, I think, that, yes, so that's right. It's true for most organizations, and yet... That's an, an enormous opportunity for any leader who's willing to step up and say, I want to create a workplace culture of generosity. I want people to cooperate, to give and get help from one another. It'll be better for everyone. Um, it'll be better for the objectives of our teams and mm -hmm. organizations. And um, that's one thing I, I write about in the book is, you know, I found over time that people really needed to know a lot more about the how-to and yes. so there's lots and lots of tools in the book. Reciprocity Ring is just one, but there's mm -hmm. probably two dozen different tools in the book that I know work and that someone can take and say, okay, I say experiment with that tool for 45 days, make that commitment, and at the end, your experience will be the evidence you need to know that this works. 
And we'll get into uh, exploring a couple more of those and, and after a short break that we need to take here. Um, so let me just ask, uh, if, as you're listening, folks, to think about what do you need to be asking help for? And what's holding you back? Wayne, we were talking about a number of the tools in your book, which are vividly described uh, with illustrations. You've also got some online tools available for people. Can you just tell us briefly about those before we get into exploring some of them in a little bit more detail? Sure. There's a, there's a couple of tools that are available free on our website uh, for the book, All You Have to Do is Ask.com, and I could describe two of them. Uh, one is the Asking Giving Assessment. Uh, the paper version, if you will, exists in the book, but there's also the online version, mm-hmm. and the beauty of that one is that if people take it, it's free, and you get a comparison to our base population. Um, so you get a sense of where you are relative to other people. So that's very helpful for gaining some insights to, you know, how often you ask and how often you give. And most people are much higher on the giving uh, than on the asking. Hmm. Uh, and then another is an because infographic. It's, it's easier to give than to ask. Yeah, well, you know, it is easier to give than ask. It's also sometimes a little bit safer to do that. Mm-hmm. And if you take it too far, you're going to be in that category of the overly generous giver who eventually gets burned out and is not as effective as they could be if only they would ask. If only they would ask. All right, so that's a really helpful tool to just to orient you to where you might make adjustments to make life a little better for you and the people that you care about by either emphasizing or de-emphasizing how much you give or ask, right? Right. It, give, it gives you some um, some valid insights mm-hmm. into your asking, giving uh, style or proclivity. Um, if you have a team do it, you get a sense of how much a team is a team that's just kind of closed, not asking. Or we know that the most effective teams uh, have very good internal and external networks, and they're always reaching out and asking for resources when they need them. Uh, so it gives that insight. There's also a, a very colorful infographic that is free and downloadable that outlines the whole journey of the all-you-have-to-do-is-ask process. So where is this site again? It's the title of the book, .com, so okay. all-you-have-to-do-is-ask.com. Okay, so you you described the overly generous givers. Let's stay with the giver-asker uh, assess, assessment tool for a moment and the, the, the four different types. There's the overly generous giver who, well, can burn out just by giving too much. What, what else should we know about that type of person? Well, it's very common. It's the most common type uh, that we see. Uh, in the extreme, it leads to what is called dysfunctional generosity or even compassion burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, very, very well regarded for generosity, um, but not as productive as they could be if they would ask. Mm-hmm. Again, that's the most common one. And we find when people take the assessment, they say, okay, I see I'm not alone. But I also see where I need to I need to make some changes. What are the other three types, briefly? So the opposite of the overly generous giver is the selfish taker. Mm. That's the person who doesn't have trouble asking but doesn't give. Uh, I have a friend of mine who used to work at IBM Consulting, and when I described this to him, he said, oh, those are sponges. We call them sponges. sponges. They suck in everything, and they never give a drop back. Mm-hmm. The third type would be the lone wolf, the person who never gives, never asks. 
Hmm. Uh, and in some ways, that's probably the worst because you're just totally disengaged uh, from life. If, you, if you're just trying to do everything by yourself, never give, never ask. The best place to be for an individual, for a team, or an organization is the fourth type, which is what I call the giver-requester. People who are generous, and they ask for what they need when they need it. Mm-hmm. And why is that so crucial? We've talked a, a bit about that in a couple of different ways, but why is that important for a rich life characterized by harmony and connection and positive impact? Well, one way that you achieve har- harmony is to is to ask for what you need. For yeah. example, uh, suppose you have um, a, a, a single mother mm-hmm. who is working uh, at a high-pressure professional job and a new team is forming. Mm-hmm. You know, she might have to ask that team, and it would be very appropriate to say, you know, when they're in the stage setting part of it before they actually get to work, and say, you know, that, you know, I have to take my small child uh, to preschool in the morning, and I can't get here until 9 a.m. So I asked the group not to schedule any important meetings before 9 a.m., but I want you to know that when I'm here, I am totally dedicated. Or somebody else might say, you know, I'm helping to care for an ailing parent, and I need to leave no later than 5.45 uh, to, to help take care of that ailing parent. But I could be here in the morning. I could even come in on the weekends, whatever it would take. But it's letting it, those are important requests that help to establish harmony in your work and your personal life. By letting others know the kind of flexibility or alternative scheduling you might require in order to meet the needs of uh, other, other stakeholders, other people who you love and care about in the other parts of your life, of course. But let me, let me uh, raise the devil's advocate question, which is, well, if everybody's asking for you know, uh, an individualized deal with respect to their availability, then nobody's going to be here to actually get the work done. Well, you know, I, I can't imagine a situation where that would really happen. You know, I actually think if people were freely and frequently asking for what they need mm-hmm. and they were doing it in an open way and in the real positive spirit of doing that, of everyone has needs that they have to meet, everyone wants to do well at work um, and have a happy personal life, you know, if everyone was voicing those, then there wouldn't be these, you know, uncommunicated expectations or, mm-hmm. you know, seething resentment because you feel you're not taken into account, but you didn't, you didn't ask, so people didn't really know mm-hmm. what was going on. I would like to see that situation where people are very generous uh, with one another, they freely give help, and they ask for what they need when they need it, and then they can work it all out. Yeah, and that, as you describe in your book, is a matter of developing a, a, an attitude in which you know it's normal for all of us to be asking, uh, and the skill in being able to ask smart questions. And that, that I want to return to that briefly here with the example that we're just talking about because I think it's it really gets to the core of what a smart question is about and and how that relates to you know a topic you can imagine we talk a lot about here on this show, and that is. How do you get flexibility in your life at work so that you can take care of all the other stuff that matters to you? And that is when making those requests about, like in the example of the single mother that you just raised, not able to be there till nine, to really underscore the meaningfulness of that request in terms of her ability to create value for the team and to, and to make that a main point of emphasis in the request 
and to be explicit about that, here's how I can be a better contributor, a more uh, you know, resilient and healthier contributor and, and a more productive member of this team. Because, and, and here's why that really matters to me. Um, this is what I'd like to try. To really lead with not your own personal need and how that's going to help your kid and perhaps you know, reduce some of your stress and anxiety, but how you're really doing it, you, what you're asking for is something that you, you're doing for the sake of your colleagues. That's exactly right, and that, that's very well put. And that would be part of the meaningful element in exactly. the smart criteria. And again, that, that's, you know, that is one of the most critical characteristics or elements of the smart criteria. Um, yeah, they say that, yes, this is going to help me personally, but this is going to enable me to be completely present, focused, and really doing a great job at work, and it's going to be better for all of us. That's what I want to underscore here, Wayne, especially for our listeners who, who are interested in creating more flexibility in, in their lives. Is, is, you, know, you, you have to be explicit about the impact that you intend to have, because other people, as you said in the first part of our conversation, they're not going to know it unless you tell them. <laughs> You've got to be explicit about, here's why I'm asking this, and here's why it's not just about me, but it's about us. That's right. And so many people, when trying to get uh, you know, better arrangements that allow them to live with a little less stress and greater harmony, uh, they just forget to do that. Or, more importantly, they don't even think about it. They just assume that other people are going to you know, be willing to help them. And it doesn't work as well as if you are explicitly saying, here's how this is for us, not just me. And that's one reason why it's so important to pause and to be thoughtful and intentional before you actually make the request. So you work all that out mm -hmm. before you actually go in and say anything. Let's, let's go further into some of the other tools that are available. Uh, we talked about the uh, assessment that helps you to see whether you're an overly generous giver, a selfish taker, a lone wolf, or a giver requester, and how to become more of one, what, what's one of the other of your favorite tools that you describe in the book and that's available at, um, all, all you need to do is ask.com? Well, there's com. a couple of, there's, uh, there's many, many, many tools, and as I had mentioned before, is that what I found over time is that motivating people to do this was not enough. People would always say, well, I need to know the how. Can you give me some examples of how people have done this, whether it's an individual, mm -hmm. a member of a team or a team leader, or even the head of an organization? And so over time, I either created or collected examples of that. So I can mention a couple of them. Please. Uh, we already talked about the reciprocity ring. Uh, there's the digital technology version of that called Givitas. We have a firm called Give and Take, Inc. that mm -hmm. is helping to develop that tool. And I have to say, we just have a wonderful professional staff that have produced something that is really, really very effective, almost almost magical, but on a much bigger scale. Mm. So that goes from the face-to-face -face all the way up to using technology, you know, based on the principles of all you have to do is ask. Uh, there's other things you can do that are uh, very low-tech. I write about the stand-up, for example. So stand-up is very commonly used in software development firms and IT, but I think it has widespread applicability. So any team can do this. You know, the one way it works is say at 10 o'clock every morning, everyone stands in a big circle, you go around and you have to say three things. Here's what I worked on yesterday, here's what I'm working on today, and here's the help that I need. Mm -hmm. 
Now, that works for a number of reasons. One, it's very fast to do that. The help is given afterwards. It normalizes asking. In fact, not asking is letting the group down. So it establishes that norm, mm-hmm. that routine. You have to ask. You have to ask. That's, part, that's number three. You've got to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it psychologically safe uh, to do so. There's another one that I, I learned from an engineer at a large... Uh, Let me just stay on that one, though, mm-hmm. because uh, I know that some people might be thinking, well, that sounds great, but you know, people are going to think I'm, I'm just uh, not tough enough to manage you know, on my own. I, I, we've talked a little bit about that. So uh, say more, if you will, about you know, let's say I'm a manager in an organization where I want to try this stand-up idea... Uh, but I think that if, if other people in the organization found out I was doing it, they would think I was being too soft. How would you advise uh, someone who was thinking that way? I think the results would be the proof that they need, uh, that mm-hmm. when teams or groups use these tools, these team tools, they do become more productive and more creative. And so it would be the results that will speak for themselves. You know, I think I, I know a, an example of a, uh, it was one of my former MBA students. He headed up a 10-person team inside one of the large automakers. And this automaker was not well known for its culture of cooperation. And yet he took to heart the idea that he had a sphere of influence. It was those 10 people. Mm-hmm. And inside of that group, he could apply and use some of these tools. And he didn't even tell his boss about it. But his boss saw the performance, the elevated performance of the team, and went, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it because you're producing great results, and that makes me look good to my bosses as well. Mm-hmm, of course. And how does taking this approach spill over into the other parts of your life, not just your family, but in the community, and also how you feel about yourself, your own uh, sense of calm or purpose in the world? Uh, what, have you, what have you observed about how undertaking this approach in one's work and career affects the other parts of their lives? Well, one thing we've, we've seen is that it actually makes work life a little bit easier. And, and we've shown through our studies that by making requests, you actually save time. So you get some time back in the day by doing this. So some people have said, you know, I made that request. It saved me six months of time. Or that saved me a whole week of time by getting that response when I got it. Mm-hmm. And so forth. So it actually makes your work life a little bit easier, more enjoyable, uh, more uh, satisfying. And when it creates those, that kind of experience, those positive emotions, we know that spills over uh, into home, into our, into our personal life. So that, that would be one way, that it, it just creates these operational efficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, much more economical, leads to better solutions faster. And less, less stress and overload, right? oh, absolutely. Which, which frees up energy and, and, and attention. Uh, for the other people and things that matter to you in the different parts of your life. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that we get to how, how one can help one's own children or the children that one touches you know, through their interactions with nieces, nephews, other people in their communities so that we can be cultivating, uh, especially as religion becomes a less influential um, you know, method of socialization in our society, uh, how this method can be helpful um, in, in rearing a generation that understands 
uh, the idea of generosity and the importance of being able to ask for help. How do you advise parents? Well, we know that in the school system, the students that are asking questions, uh, that are not afraid to raise their hands, and they do it in an environment that the teacher has created where it's safe to do so, they do better. They just perform better academically. They're less stressed out. They're less anxious and so forth. So it's one of the saddest things when you see a kid get asking drummed out, get you know get drummed out of them that they're just not raising their hand anymore um so i've actually applied smart criteria uh with my son so he's uh just recently turned 18 years old mm-hmm. and you know if you remember what it's like to have an 18 year old son um <laughs> or an eight-year-old daughter <laughs> uh-huh. the, um, you know what i found is that if i use the smart criteria with him especially the m the meaningful mm. he's much more likely to get it to understand now he may not like doing something that I'm asking, but he's much more willing to do it. Um, I try to avoid the method my father used with me, which is, you'll do it because I told you so. (laughs) Yes, exerting your will, uh, it only goes so far, doesn't it? That's right, you know, and it's, you know, so when my father would do that, he'd get compliance, but he wouldn't get engagement, Mm because engagement means I I get it and I'm willing to do it. Mm -hmm. And and where have you found that, either in your own life or others that you have... uh, counseled or guided, you know, the, the parents get stuck in trying to teach their kids how to become more generous and more open to asking. Well, there's a, a couple of things you can do. When you think about sitting down for a meal at the, at the dinner table, um, and Cheryl and I found this to be effective as well, is that we will ask questions of one another. We found that if we ask questions directly of our son, the answers are usually one or two words. Mm-hmm. Um, but yep, nope, yep. No. Nope. Yep. Mm-hmm. And another one, fine. <laughs> no, that's worse than yes or no. That's right. Because it's you ambiguous. Know. Yeah. So if I say something that you know, this, uh, this Cheryl has said, well, who did, um, who did you reach out today for for help on something you were working on? I might even know in advance what it is, and mm-hmm. she describes that. Or I'd say, um, did you have a chance to help anyone today? You know, at work or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And then she would do the same uh, with me. And then we found that our son would actually chime in with something himself. So role modeling actually works, doesn't it? It actually works. It actually works. But it sounds like you and Cheryl were strategic about your organizing such conversations for the benefit of your son. Yeah, well, you know, but I stumbled into it because, uh, because initially I'd ask him direct questions and nothing would ever really come back or just a couple of words. And so just one day I said to Cheryl, I said, why don't we, let's just you and I have a conversation about this. You know, and that's a, that's as strategic as we were. But what we found was that he would listen, and then he then he wanted to jump in. He wanted to participate. Why? Well, I think um, I don't know. Maybe he was inspired by it, or maybe mm-hmm. he felt left out, and he wanted to join the conversation. Um, maybe he learned something, and I and I think even if he wasn't responding himself, he was still listening, and I think um, internalizing what he was hearing. So what's, uh, in, in the few minutes we've got left, Wayne, what's the most important thing that a, a manager needs to know to, to get started in thinking and acting in a way that creates a culture of generosity where people are unafraid to ask for the things that matter and where they're more able, therefore, to be able to help each other and, and get more done together? Well, I think one of the important things to realize is that you don't need to convince anyone. Um, so I, all the tools I write about are based on what I call the behavior-first principle, which 
which is it's very hard to get people to change their minds about what they think or to change their values. But if you can get people to behave differently, then they will update their attitudes and even their underlying values. Ex- give us an example to explain that. So um, I use the reciprocity ring. I use it with a group of executives in a, in, in a, a large utility. And a uh, person said, you know, I just don't believe this is going to work. Mm-hmm. not going to work. And I said, well, I don't know. You don't have to believe it. I said, well, you just do it. Just we try just it. Go, just go through the mechanics. Just go through the steps. Mm-hmm. So we did. At the end, he, he came up to me and he said, I believe, because now I get it. Mm-hmm. And it's that behavior first. So what I always advise managers to do is to take, go through the tools in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, pick one that you, and you want to you know, co-create this, so you want to have your team, for example, go along uh, with you and help decide what, what tool you want to try. Make a commitment to do it for 45 days. Run the experiment. And you could say to the group, at the end of 45 days, if we don't want to continue this, uh, we don't have to. Or we could just try another tool. And you don't have to convince anyone except to try, to experiment. And nine times out of ten, if not more, at the end of those 45 days, they'll say, can we do this more often? Can we continue doing this? Because they get it. They have updated their beliefs. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you're helping people with uh, in your life these days? Well, I feel as a, as a professor, it's, uh, I'm blessed. You know, I have an opportunity to uh, teach our wonderful MBA and Ph.D. students and to bring these ideas into the classroom. So I teach from this perspective in our weekend MBA, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love teaching people who are working full-time so they, they can actually take the tools and experiment with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's through my mission as both a teacher and then now with the book uh, to bring the message and the tools to a much bigger audience. All right, Wayne. Is there a request for help you'd like to make to the people listening? Oh, that's, uh, uh, that's very kind of you to say. Um, you know, I would like people to benefit from this whether or not they get the book. So to go to the website for the book and to try the assessment, uh, to download the infographic, there's a lot you can learn from uh, with that. And of course, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the last stage of my career, and I would like to kind of have a lasting impact. And I've seen the difference this approach makes in people's lives. And so, I guess my re- request would be for more opportunities to uh, uh, to speak about it. Say more. Well, I'd be glad to uh, be guest on other podcast shows, mm-hmm. or if somebody was interested in having me come in to uh, talk to their team, or run a workshop with some of our tools and to have the so the meaningful part is that it helps to deliver on the mission of of the book and i know that it makes a real difference in people's lives mm-hmm. and the time bound mm-hmm. is that sometime within the the next quarter so the next three months well all right uh wayne i so appreciate the work that you've done with your book 20 years ago building social capital i i refer that to everyone from now on though i'm going to be referring them to all you have to do is ask uh how to master the most important skill for success uh what else do people need to know about how they can learn more about the the great work that you're doing if they're interested in the reciprocity ring and Givitas, the digital technology, they could go to the website giveandtakeinc.com. So the company is Give and Take Inc. And I'm sure your listeners will recognize Give and Take from uh, Adam Grant's uh, famous book. Adam is also involved in this project uh, with us. And there are many more resources there as well. Awesome. Wayne Baker. 
thank you so much for joining me on Work and Life. Oh, this has been a pleasure. Great to talk with you, Stu. Folks, if you can guess why I'm playing this music, send me a note about it. There's extra special bonus points in it for you. Hang on. Here we go. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Wayne Baker about giving and receiving support and that you found it as enlightening as I did. I have found for over 20 years how incredibly useful are his ideas, his tools, rooted as they are in the science of social capital and just immensely practical. So here then is a challenge for you, an invitation to make use of his ideas and enrich your life. Think of a goal that you now have for which you need some help, some assistance, but you've been reluctant to ask for it, to seek it. Following Wayne's advice, compose a request that is a smart one, specific, meaningful, action-oriented, realistic, and time-bound. Try to find a way then to make that request to the relevant person or group. I would love to hear what you discover from this exercise in stretching your social capital skills. Does it work? Why? Does it not work? Why? So get in touch with me directly at friedman.wharton.upenn.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for on-air broadcasts of Work and Life on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.